Hey fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Today I have a distinguished guest in Sarah Kodusian. Really keen to talk about tennis because she is a former tennis player that's now getting back into the game. She's also a best-selling author and has a fitness business, so an entrepreneur as well. So there's lots of things to unpack and talk about here. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> me too. Talk about getting back into tennis. Let's start there. Like, How does it feel now after so long to be back and playing? You play almost every day, right? Almost every day, I'm on the court for like two hours. Uh, the other day, we almost made it to three hours, and we were going to keep go going, but we had a happy hour to get to, so it was either <laughs> tequila or tennis, so we opted for tequila. <laughs> That's a good choice, I think. Yeah. yeah, which back then, obviously, it would have been tennis. I think it's just the one thing that I continuously say is that the sport that used to give me anxiety has now become my outlet to it. And now I get onto the court just with a different mindset, which I feel has made me a better player now than back when I was raised. <laughs> yeah, here we go. She has a fire alarm situation, so don't, don't be I alarmed. So sorry. I, this was supposed to stop 30 minutes ago. So yeah, That's just fun. I, I might edit it out, but I think it's fun that it's there as well. I, just forewarn them, if you have sensitive ears, I can only imagine. But anyway, um, so I think just coming in as a player, a former player with so much experience and growing up back when mental health was not a huge thing, in tennis and the one thing I always say when I'm talking to different athletes and different professional athletes I was like tennis is the only sport you are on that court by yourself like even with golf you have your caddy you have your team but if you even so much look at your coach and your coach is doing some sort of signal you are fined you can't even you can't even look so you have to be hyper focused and people will always say how do you how do you get by that? Or how do you determine how to play each player? And I'm like, I'm not playing the player, I'm playing the ball. And that's the mindset that I have completely switched to because I feel for me, when I take out the other player, I, I make it about me. And it's more about me and my choices I have to make because I'm a very offensive, aggressive player. And at any time, I'm, I'm inside that baseline, swinging volleys and things like that. But if I let my head get into it where I'm like, oh, it's the other player, then I'm going to start playing more of a defense and playing more so of how the other player is doing. So I think there's there's a lot <laughs> to unpack there. Yeah, no, and you train at some really top academies like Boliteri and uh, you were one of the top 50 players in the in the country. Uh, but then you had like an injury. What will happen there, like the career-ending injury? I oh. did. Here is a, a full-blown... Um, <laughs> So I grew up, again, with uh, predominantly my dad being my coach, which in a lot of cases, it's not so much formal training there. And it was seven days a week. It was the mindset of a very militant mindset of you play through pain. Does not matter how tired you are. You don't get to say you're tired. Does not matter what hurts. You better play through it because that's what's going to make you tougher and a better athlete. So I was playing through pain and I just kept playing and playing and it, I was noticing the pain. And I remember I was playing in Pasadena, California. It was one of the big tournaments back there and I hit the forehand and I remember this so vividly. 
and the rocket went flying up in the air at contact and I screamed and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. So they took me to the hospital and apparently I had broken, um, broken, broken bones. <laughs> and I Whoa. still picked up my rocket by the way. And I tried to like continue, but I, I couldn't even hold it at that point anymore. Um, so when they got into surgery, they had to do the surgery and it just didn't heal properly at all. I mean, I, I don't know if just technology was way more different or, or whatever it is, but I mean, the scars there, and I don't know if you could see it or if it's as gross as anybody out, but you could see right here, and I lost full-blown range of motion. This Whoa. feels like I'm doing a TikTok dance or something. But... <laughs> yeah, that's good too. <laughs> But just doing this, um, you could see the difference uh, in range of motion. And again, it hit me just mentally and just trying to get back. I, I tried to do the rehab of getting it back, getting it stronger. But each time, it just was not to that extent. And at that time, when I was top 50 in the country, I had scholarships to like every Pac-10 school, Ivy League schools. And at 16, when obviously that's the time they're starting to recruit and all of that kind of stuff, when they heard I'm injured, everything dropped. So I lost all my scholarships and I was homeschooled. So I didn't really have that education in the sense of to just use my grades to be able to get into college. I was relying on tennis if I was going to go, but I had made up my mind since I was a kid, I'm going to be professional. And it's, Sarah, the tennis player, Sarah's going to be a pro. Sarah's training to go pro. And then so when I lost it, it just, it, it really blindsided me. Because I think as a kid, you don't think about option B. It's option A and that's it. And especially yeah, exactly. with like having those pressures of, you know, your strict, uh, strict father. And my mom was just, a, you know, it's just an angel. <laughs> we, my brothers and I would fight, like, who gets mom to take them to the tournament, you know, and who's, who's stuck with dad. <laughs> so so. What happened after that? Like you, I mean, that's a completely life changing situation. You're, you're thinking only tennis, 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 tennis this is my life. Yeah. And whether that's good or not for a kid, you can argue about. And something I've talked about with another podcast, how difficult it is to be in a parent and child like coaching relationship. And we can maybe get wow. into that, but for you afterwards, like how did it feel and when, how did you react to this new life you're suddenly in? I, I mean, at 16, you know, first and foremost, you're truly figuring yourself out like no other, but I was a very isolated kid because again, tennis being a complete individual sport, it's not like I did doubles to have at least a doubles partner to talk with. It was homeschooling, tennis, homeschooling, tennis. So the only way I identified myself with anything was with the sport. So once that was gone for me, it was life changing in the sense of, I thought I lost myself completely as well. I was basically told um, by my dad since he, he was, you know, pushing and sacrificing. Um, but my mom obviously was there, but in his, his mindset was a little more different. And it was basically, figure it out. You got to figure out how to get into college. Um, you got to figure out how you're going to now pay for college. You're going to, you're going to figure it out. And so I, at 16, I had to figure it out. And so after a surgery, after all the, um, 
rehab, not fully being able to come back, constantly in pain, re-injuring myself, um, the same injury over and over. Had to get a job, a part-time job. I had to figure it out. So I got a job and then started saving and started very early on to be very resourceful in the sense of who do I know in the tennis world that can help me come on to the school, probably walk on and see like, okay, I couldn't go pro anymore because it was different, but I grew up training against um, people older than me, um, boys, men. And so I was like, I got college. I'll be able to get college. Like it's a different, it's a different world playing D1 tennis as opposed to playing pro. And so I walked on, um, made my, contacted one of the people that I knew over at uh, Cal State Northridge, and I walked onto the team. And uh, that coach had been trying to recruit me since way younger days, anyway. So he knew who I was, um, and you know, I walked onto the team. But unfortunately, that was. One of my worst experiences of uh, being on that team, I had an unfortunate experience um, in a situation, and I quit the team. So I quit tennis a second time in the sense of, well, this is not fun, and this is worse than when I was playing junior tennis. And I said, now what am I going to do? And I ended up going into severe depression and anxiety and weight gain of like maybe a good 30, 30, 35 pounds, I want to say, which coming up as like a super fit athlete, like at an elite level, and then going into that emotional eating, um, emotional soda drinking, because I didn't have my first drink till I was 21, but having soda is a different kind of a drug. It is, it is a drug. And um, I, I had to figure it out. I, I finally hit a rock bottom and I said, this is, this is not me. This is not who I am. And what do I have to do? So I switched my major in college because I first went in, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I said, oh, I'm going to be a tennis broadcaster. This is what I want to do. And then I said, I'm, I need to figure out what happened to me. So I switched my major to kinesiology. And I said, if I can figure out what happened to me, I can help other athletes to not end up like me, make better choices, make better decisions. And I said, and that'll be me being able to give back and pay it forward so someone else doesn't end up in those hard routes that I ended up taking and having to go through. And I said, if someone can hear me out there, just even listening to this and say, hey, you know, the importance of what you do off the court. And back then, again, like growing up, not with um, someone that was super trained in, in this kind of world, if I had trained differently, not overtrained, listened to my body, done the meditation, the journaling, the mental work that tennis consists of, I feel like I would have still been able to make it on tour. So I think that's why I, I made the choice that I made of studying kinesiology. And it was hard. <laughs> I had to dissect a cat. <laughs> it was brutal. That major was absolutely brutal. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do that. I think that would be rough. I, I put in my head, I said, 
because I cried when I first found out and I, I, I tried to get out of it and I'm, I'm very um, I'm very persuasive at times and it didn't work and they said you don't do this you fail the class and so I had to go in there and I was like okay tennis mindset you have to switch it what are you gonna do so I said oh this is a chicken you are roasting a chicken that's what this is this is a chicken this is not a cat not that it makes it any better but it made it seem like oh I'm preparing a dinner I could not eat chicken for an entire year <laughs> because I associated it with that yeah that was brutal yeah that sounds brutal like some some degrees well you know it's tough uh, getting back to your, your beginnings there, like you trained with Andre Agassi's father, Mike Agassi. And yeah. what we know from, from Agassi's backstory um, is that like when he wrote Open and all that stuff is that he, he was trained in a very specific way and not maybe the nicest way as, as for a kid to learn tennis. Like, I mean, there's more education around maybe how to, to train kids today, although some people still do it very strangely. Uh, <laughs> was that where like your... Um, were you always really pushed like by by your father and in this situation like how, yeah. how, how did you react to all that stuff I I learned to dissociate at a very early age uh, which obviously doing a lot of work in my adult years I understand myself way more than I've ever understood myself and so I understand uh, what Andre went through in the sense of I had a similarity and for me it's again what saved me was a disassociation I think uh, other studies will tell you otherwise <laughs> in regards to doing something like that but it taught me now to not take things personally and I just at surface level and take what I need from it in order to to be able to make myself a better player and do better. So for me, I, I understood that mindset and that mentality. I, I think it was different when I trained with him. And it was different for me because I was out there for a week. So obviously my experience is gonna be way different than what anyone goes through with their parent or what anyone goes through with a coach that's not their parent. And I, I was just honored to be there because being a huge Andre fan, like the biggest, like I was, I, I still am the biggest Andre fan and being Middle Eastern and him being of half Armenian descent, like there was a lot of relatability because me growing up as a Middle Eastern athlete, Lebanese Armenian, I never saw other female athletes like me. Now we have Anz Javor, so which is so, so great. And, you know, so her saying the Yalla Habibi means like so much to me because I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I wish I, I wish I had her when, you know, when I was growing up and playing because I, I, it's the representation like that really does matter. And so I, again, it was, for me, I had a great experience with him. He's the reason I, uh, I have straight teeth now because and again, because I'm, I was used to that kind of upbringing, uh, I remember vividly, I was smiling and he turned to my parents and said, she cannot hold trophies and smile with crooked teeth, get her braces. <laughs> it's old school. <laughs> Very old, yes. And in my mom's eyes, I was always the most beautiful uh, thing on the planet for her. So she thought it was cute that I had crooked teeth and 
you know, they had to explain, like, what are you going to do when she's older and she wants straight teeth? Like, you might as well do it now. And so I can thank him for braces. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good, good story, actually. Well, that, you know, sometimes it's like tough love. Like, someone means well, they just are very blunt and they just say it. And for some people, it's hard to deal with. And if you grow up like that, maybe you learn how to adjust to that kind of language yeah, and I'm not excusing it whatsoever like everyone's going to handle it differently but for me I've just I've always had a different mindset for myself in the sense of I am I allowed to cuss am I allowed uh, to say profanity is it profanity yeah of course yeah yeah go ahead oh, okay. like in the in the sense of I don't give a fuck what anyone is saying. I know myself and I'm, I'm whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it for me. And what you say is not going to affect me because of the fact of I'm going to make my own pathway regardless. Like I went through the darkness and only for me to come out of it, just knowing myself. Yeah. So, I mean, you seem to have gone through quite a lot and like built a really kind of a strong foundation. Uh, but obviously these things also hurt you in adult life when you have to go through all that. Like, have you worked a lot on yourself in terms of therapy and stuff to, to be a stronger and now also entrepreneur and all that stuff you're doing now? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I think the most beautiful thing about tennis, if you look at it from a philosophical point, it is the most related to the world than any other sport in the sense of, if you want to take the entrepreneur route, you you can look at tennis and see it be this. How can I say this? I'm, I'm trying to articulate it in the best way possible. But tennis, like you have to figure it out. If you're down five zero, you have to figure it out. If I have, you know, if I'm pitching an idea and ten doors have closed on me, I need to figure out ten more for me to knock on and. I do give so much credit to this sport in the sense of teaching me such valuable lessons that I think that's why I'm so passionate about kids in general starting off with sports, whether you're doing it for fun or com competition, there's so much behind it. Like so many things you learn from some of the best coaches that are life lessons. And I remember one of the times I, I think I was, just not having it in practice, um, and then I had to go and play a tournament. And I get onto the court, and I was, sometimes I would be checked out, checked out in the sense of when, sometimes when you're an aggressive player and you're more so about hitting that flat ball and the sweet ball, sometimes you don't think. <laughs> and it's just, oh, there's the ball and you wanna, you know, just hit it, just how like a dog reacts to a squirrel. <laughs> it's the same thing for me, and I remember being down 5-0. 30 love and I came back and won, won, won the match and everybody was like what were you doing the first set I was like I don't know the one thing that I do know is it's not over till it's over that match was not over I've never been afraid of being down 5-0 being down a set things like that never bothered me um, and I think that plays a huge part in my entrepreneurship I mean the amount of ideas that I've had that have just either been laughed at or said it's too soon or no, whatever. And then being able to do the things that I have done and am doing is all because I had that mentality instilled in me in tennis. Like, and no one's going to tell me, no one's going to tell me no, 
Like, you're going to tell me no, that's fine, but someone else is eventually going to say yes. And if they don't say yes, then I'm going to create my own way to do it. And that was actually the way that I, I got the book deal. I had no representation, didn't have an agent. I had, I was writing to people every day, hey, I have this idea, I'm pitching it, I, I'm going to figure it out. I just need a lawyer, I need a manager to help me read. Every single person, I'm not kidding you, turned me down. Every single, I had zero representation. I always wrote and I would love to write. Uh, I've won a couple things in college and I had this idea with a client that I was working with and I, I was like, hey, let's partner up. I had the idea of, uh, of doing this cookbook, fitness book and I was working with a client at the time and I said, hey, I have this idea. You're seeing great results with me. And it was what I was doing at that time. And I, I, you're going to laugh and everyone always laughs about this because they were like, where did your inspo come from for this? And I was in Las Vegas for the JLo uh, closing show at 50 years old. She was turning 50 because she's a Leo like me, and I love her work ethic, and she just, so many boundaries, she's just crushed, which is why I love, um, I love her, and so I was at that show, and she's turning 50, like, the next day, or whatever day it was, and she's in heels, like, this big, doing acrobatic movements on the stage, and I am at awe, in absolute awe and I am looking at her and I'm like how how and I said to myself I will never ever ever say I am too tired ever again like I will never say that again it is never it's never it's never going to be an excuse it's never going to be an option for me and she was singing this one song and I promise you she made eye contact so I feel like she gave me some of her like J-Lo powers and then the next um the next day I was on a midnight flight and I got onto a flight got to LA on maybe two hours of sleep because I'd been sitting on this book idea and I was like what are you doing and I didn't sleep I was so inspired I wrote the whole thing in 24 hours without sleeping and I downloaded that um that uh app Canva because I was like, oh, I got, I got to make a book now. I got to now pitch this the right way. I, I still have that pitch. Like it is, it is so embarrassing to look at in the sense of like where my, you know, my visual quality was back then. But at the same time, it's one of my proudest moments because I didn't know and I figured it out. And I took my laptop with, uh, to my client's house with my, uh, you know, with our training session, I said, now's your time. Cause I kept trying to get a meeting with her, trying to give her the pitch. And she kept like, you know, she was so busy and she's on a break. And I did this strategically because I had her doing like 10 interval sprints. And I was like, she's going to sit down now. And I take out the laptop and she's mid breath. Like, <sighs> and I'm like, and she looked at it and her eyes opened up and she was like, Oh my God. And I was like, this is why I've been trying to meet with you. I want to do this with you. And right then and there, she, was, she wanted to buy uh, the idea. And a week prior to that, I had listened to a podcast with Oprah on it. And Oprah said, 
if they want to buy your idea, you never sell and you ask for a percentage. And so I had that in my head and I said, you're not buying this idea. We're going to partner. And then the rest was history. We got signed to Simon and Schuster, one of the biggest like publishing companies in the world. And like for me to come in of this underdog, which is again, relatable to me in the sense of I was always the underdog coming up because when I was 12, my dad was having me play in the 16 and unders because he was like, this is how you're going to get better. And so I was at 12, like this little tiny little thing, you know, and coming in and ending up winning tournaments with that underdog mentality. And it was the same thing. Now I had the underdog, like, who's this? Like, she's not the star which I never try to be, nor did I think I was. I just, I had an idea and I knew how the game works. So that's how it happened. And the, we, we actually released during the pandemic. I didn't have a PR team. I didn't, I till this day, I don't, I don't have any of that. I don't have management. I don't have any of that. And I had to Google my way through everything, everything, Jonas, like it was insane. Like I, I was, to me, again, it comes down to tennis because if you're having the craziest match and you just can't figure it out, you don't have a coach telling you what to do or how to fix it. You can't do that. So you have to figure it out. So I figured it out. <laughs> no, it's amazing your story. And I, I really, I think people take inspiration from hearing that things are not like a perfect process. It's always like something that happens in the blink of an eye or just like a, you know, a quick lightning flash of inspiration and you go for that meeting and you need to go for it. I think generally like the, the mindset of being like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm going for this. I'm going to the trainer and you just like, you put your foot down and you, you we're going to get it done. And that's the kind of thing that changes, you know, and, and makes things happen. So I think it's uh, pretty inspirational and, and, a, and a great story, like a great backstory to the, to the book. Uh, and, and the book is about like, um, I mean, lifestyle and, and like nutrition, really. Like, so you're, you're really into food and cooking and recipes and stuff like that. Uh, can you talk about your journey in that world? Yeah. So I, I mean, growing up in a Middle Eastern household, the, the, the woman is usually the one that does all the cooking and things like that. And I always wanted to be in the kitchen with my mom, not so much because of those uh, gender roles in the, in the culture. I was I'm very rebellious in those kinds of things. Like I'm very, very rebellious <laughs> with that. I'm the polar opposite, but I would see my mom and she would create like, I'm not even kidding you. If she told you to come for a light lunch or a light dinner, it was a gourmet setting on the table that took her just this was it. This was, this was easy. And I would, I would watch and I loved it. And I would see people and how happy they would become eating her food. And, you know, a lot of people don't do that. And it's more of like, Oh, what's in the fridge quickly making a sandwich and whatever. But like, this was an experience my mom would create. And, you know, I, as a kid, you're like a sponge. So you're absorbing these things. And I've always been the type of person that I love to make people happy and feed them. And my mom could be starving and tired and exhausted. But if she fed you, it fed her. And it does the same for me. And uh, just learning from a lot of the stuff in the culture where, you know, <laughs> even if you're not hungry, you eat. And, oh, if you're thin, why aren't you eating? Are you sick? So yeah, it's, I recognize that. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Or if you're so full and they're telling you, no, no, you got to eat. 
And so learning a lot um, through my experience in fitness and kinesiology and certifications for uh, learning about uh, nutrition. So for me, when, when, you know, when I would tell growing up to my family telling them, oh, no, I got to eat healthy. And they're like, why? You're already thin. And I was like, I'm not eating healthy because of my weight. I'm eating healthy because I want my insides to feel good. So they'd be like, oh, what? You're going to have boiled chicken? And I said, no, I can have this, this, and that. So I figured it's time for me to go into that um, into that route now in the sense of I want to I want to give healthy eating a good name. It doesn't have to be bland or boring. I create some of the most flavorful meals and just knowing what to put and how to set a table to make it just as visually appealing, fun experience. And I think a lot of that I attribute to my mom. And for me, trying to make healthy, healthy eating a, a cool thing. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Like how strict are you with, uh, for example, is this like based on keto or any kind of other like type diet um, you, that are kind of like in, in vogue now or is it more based on like pretty balanced approach so i've always hated the word diet in because of the diet culture and you hear just so many and especially when you know they were pitching the book and things like that and the way that they wanted to hit the diet market and i kept fighting and saying this is not a diet book this is a recipe book and you get my um you get my workout plan in there too because i believe in making fitness accessible to people anywhere, anytime workouts. And so for me, what changed me uh, and the way that I started eating was starting to look at the work of Dr. Mark Hyman. And he's a functional medicine doctor. And I was reading his research and I said, I'm going to try one of these plans that he has because he kept talking about are you getting brain fog? Are you getting, you know, tired and wanting to nap? And I said, let me, let me do, let me do the test. And I do my own tests before I even talk about it on my platforms or talk about it to, to clients or anyone, because I want that firsthand experience. And I started doing at that point, um, keto, keto is a, however, using my own common sense, like just because it tells you, you can eat a shit ton of bacon doesn't mean that I was going to eat so much bacon it wasn't about that but I started taking out refined sugar I limited my sugar intake to 25 grams I did not know how much sugar I was consuming because I said I don't eat candy I don't do and then I was adding it up and I was like oh my god all of this is, is sugar and I did that for 21 days and when I did that I had energy like no other. My skin, who which struggled with acne and things like that, changed like no other. And like just so many differences in my hair and my energy and my in my feels. And then I created my own rendition of that, which I do 90-10. I'm not trying to get into ketosis. I like my tequila on the weekends um, here and there. And uh I do like some of my, my, like yesterday I had a meeting and I indulged in a big pizza and a big glass of tequila and I don't regret it <laughs> at all. So finding that balance, but the one thing that I've stayed very strict with, especially because of 
all of the research behind it is my sugar intake. I don't eat more than 25 grams of sugar. Sh sugars. And I'm like, I don't want to give U.S. some extra crap, but the food in the U.S., like when I lived in the, the States, the food is so bad overall. Like the stuff you buy in the regular supermarket, you know, they're obviously specialist stores that are a bit more, you know, organic and stuff like that, which costs a lot of money. But the general food that people eat is so packed with sugar, like processed yeah. crap pretty much that we put in our body that doesn't do anything good. Like it's better to just fast if you can. Absolutely. Um, so the food culture is is a problem I, I and uh do do you see that's like do you see any kind of trend shift in that or do you think like it's just still the same Um I think it's still the same I think the difference that I am seeing now is that people are more aware and are able to make better choices for themselves you can't rely on the food system uh especially out here to to look out for you. You have to be your own advocate and you have to do your own research. And the one thing that I have learned throughout this all is you have to be your own doctor in the sense of what works for you might not work for someone else and what they're advising might not work for you. And finding that happy medium of what is, you know, based on research, common sense, and what, again, what works for you. So that's a, that's a very important thing. I was just in Germany in when was I there I was I was in Germany in May and I I was eating I, I, don't ask me to pronounce any of the stuff that I was eating and I will tell you I I didn't have any bloating issues I didn't have any of the issues that if I had those foods here in LA like it would be a different story in in the states not just LA yeah and, no I it seems like it's it's like almost from the crop, right? Like it's, it's, it's so badly processed from the ground. Like, so this, what I've read, like, is that the soil is so nutrition deficient, right? So there's no nutrition in the soil anymore. And then obviously there's like companies want to make money. So they will sprinkle sure. whatever, you know? Absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of people will just trust the label, the box. And I'm like, that is no added sugar. <laughs> No added sugar, but please turn it around. I was, I will not forget this. And I wish I, I, I wish I had my phone on record. I was on the phone with my friend who she was super happy to FaceTime me because she was, she doesn't eat vegetables or drink any green juice or whatever. And she calls me and I could see the brand and I don't want to say the brand, but I could see the brand. She was like, look, Sarah, I'm doing you proud. I'm having a green juice. And I said, turn around the bottle and I, I predicted it. I, I guesstimated. I was like, I bet you that has 50 grams of sugar. And she turns around and she, it had 56 grams of sugar. And she was like this whole time, I thought I was doing something good and having something healthy. And I said, you were drinking a soda disguised as a juice, as a green juice. And that's what's so sad. And that's the one thing that I try to articulate as, as good as I can to say, don't trust because it says healthy or no sugar added. I said, turn around, you have to read it, unfortunately. It's like reading the small print, the fine print. And it's sad because a lot of people are not taught that. And I had to do my research and understand it. And then once I made those changes, I saw not only the difference in my body, but again, on my insides. The healthiest I feel now than I did when I was a 16-year-old elite athlete 
Yeah, and, and kids also, like generally when you're a teenager, even if someone can give you recommendations, and I think, you know, going back even 10, 15 years, like we were not half as far as we are understanding at least what we put into yeah. our body, you know, and, uh, and I think today tennis players can make more educated choices in what, like, okay, I shouldn't drink, I shouldn't drink uh, sugary beverages, I should avoid like quite fatty foods before a match, for example, but yeah. if you go back, you know, uh, years, it, it was completely different landscape. Absolutely. And I think you have to, again, you have to be your own advocate. You can't rely on either your team, who's probably not educated in this because they picked up the sport. A lot of them uh, have picked up the sport or unless you've hired a nutritionist or you've hired a dietitian or you've hired a chef or whatever that knows these kinds of things, like you have to, you have to do it. You have to just do it. And it's so sad that it has to be that way. And some of these places that are classified as health stores out here, I recently was having a conversation with my friend. And again, I don't want to say the place, but she was like, oh, I go here because it's so healthy. And I was like, that is one of the, I, I had to do a video on it because I was like, it was one of the most difficult places for me to find healthy foods in this self-proclaimed health food store because you just turn it around if you can't pronounce the ingredients you most likely shouldn't be having it and if it has more than like five ingredients and you can't recognize them you most likely should not be having it and if it has a shelf life of god knows how long you definitely should not be having it so that's my little rule of rule of thumb I think it's a good rule of thumb. And I think like reading labels have become quite popular. Like you, you actually want to check what, what is going on here. What is this acid they put in the, the, this normal thing that you're buying, you know? And I guess also yeah. like eating whole fruits instead of like juice stuff where they, you don't know Absolutely. what they put in Absolutely. and eating yeah, vegetables and then stuff like that. But yeah, so the, so the food, uh, you know, you're really into and you eat really healthy. Uh, so from like a Middle Eastern standpoint like you use a lot of spices right that's that's oh, the magic yeah. that is the magic and uh the way that i do it is especially if i am hosting uh, my my advice that i give because in a lot of the middle eastern culture there's so much starchiness on the table like they'll make a sandwich sandwich which is bread with rice with chickpeas which is like beans, potatoes, like French fries, and then add your protein and, and some whatever. But you you don't need all that. <laughs> you don't need all that. So I always pick one starchy carb for the table, and then everything else is healthy fats, proteins, and non-refined, um, non-starchy carbs. So that's how I do it. And that's why, one, you'll feel amazing afterwards, even though you're eating like so much food, uh, you're getting fuller quicker and you're not feeling stuffed. And then when it comes to alcohol, uh, especially if, if I'm hosting, I'll, I'll make a cocktail with no refined sugar. I'll use monk fruit and I have secret concoctions of making stuff taste good. But I'm also a, a tequila neat girl, so most of my girlfriends don't have that. So if, if the girlfriends are here, I'm doing tequila, uh, I'm doing like a cocktail. But if I'm out somewhere, I'm doing a tequila neat, and it's just pure tequila. <laughs> is tequila better than wine, for example? Because now I feel like a glass of wine, but I, I'm thinking like, okay, yeah. maybe it's too much sugar in the wine. <laughs> it's not just that. A lot of the wine companies are not very much regulated in the sense of they can add so much to it. 
even though you're thinking you're having like organic wines. I don't know so much of how it is in other countries, but out here, that's more so of, of what it's like. And if you notice, you'll get what's called a wine headache. Even if you're drinking a more higher, higher priced wine, you'll still get that. And I, I had to start doing research on that and figure it out. I was like, this is an expensive bottle of wine. Why do I still feel like crap? And don't get me wrong. I do love my occasional Sauvignon Blanc or whatever. Uh, but I, I stick to tequila. It's tequila or gin. Now That's I feel like a tequila. Uh, there's some really cool uh, tequila bars in, in Malta where I, uh, I used to live. So now I'm uh -huh. like, ah, it would be nice because I'm going back in a, in a few weeks. Um, now I feel Very like cool. tequila bars. Yeah, it's actually cool. No, so that's great. I mean, like r avoiding the sugar is, is key, of course, but yeah. now you have a better diet. You're back on the tennis court. Um, the, how does your body feel in, in general? Like, do you take extra care now with like stretching, warm up, than you, oh, yeah. compared to what you did when you were actually competing as, as a teenager? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the times growing up as an athlete, you think you're invincible and you think, oh, what's not going to happen to me? You hear about the injuries all the time and you're like, no, I'm so strong. It's not going to happen to me. And until it does. And then if you allow it, it teaches you the biggest lesson of your life of one, you're not invincible. Like anything can happen at any given point. And studying kinesiology, really understanding the importance of what you do off the court and your recovery is so much more important than your actual training. And now I am, I'm in acupuncture once a week. I have my twice a month massage where I'm like, this is not a luxury thing anymore. Like yesterday, if we did this podcast yesterday, I was a crippled person because I went back to back three days in a row of two hours, two and a half hours. And my body, my body was done because I've been playing against a lot of the guys. And so they, they still have the mindset of, oh, I don't want a girl to beat me. You would think it would, we would be past that by now. So yeah. they try to like you know, work me harder, but, um, yeah. <laughs> so for me, the importance of that recovery was key because I, I was, my energy was low. I had a headache from my, my traps being so tight from serving and obviously just pounding the ball on the court and seeing how good I feel today. Like I'm a different person today and I can get back onto the court right now where before I was like dragging myself. I didn't do the extras. I never did the massages. I never did the, the acupuncture, the stretching. Oh God. Like they would be like, did you stretch? I was like, yeah, yeah. It was like two, two seconds. Like the, the, the basic. Now my entire morning ritual like consists of full blown stretching, midday stretching, evening before going to bed stretching epsom salt bath almost every single night that's good that's good yeah so i would say much better now <laughs> no i think it's it's interesting like i try to stretch I, I i was the same like i didn't ever stretch I, now i play like two hours almost every day so my body is also like hello uh take it easy man uh, yeah. i went to actually to a podiatrist to get like custom insoles to just really have like you know no knee problems or at least from that like because i test shoes as well so you know, everything you can take more seriously, the, the better. And today I was on the court and, uh, you know, there were some juniors and they were all doing like a lot of resistance bands, yeah. which, you know, going back, you know, people weren't doing a lot of resistance bands yeah. or, or just like, they were like, okay, go on the court. Yeah, stretching okay. was back then. I think a lot of people just understanding, especially now more 
education and more people realizing tennis is not a static sport. So you should be doing dynamic warmups and customizing strictly for your sport and the type of athlete that you are and the movements that you're doing and getting that blood flowing and, 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 you know, wearing the right shoes, wearing the right uh, socks down to the socks. Like I, I, I recently had a sock issue and I was like, what the hell? Like I now have to pay attention all the way to my socks. Like, because I'm so in tune with my body where back then I was not, I would play through pain and I was like, Oh, this is normal. It's supposed to be painful to be an athlete. Like that was, that was it. Now it feels good to be an athlete. That's great. I mean, like, I think that's true. I think people think there's pride in the pain, which there is in a way that you are actually using your body because it's much better than sitting down all the time and just being completely lethargic. But there's no real greatness in having a lot of pain. So you can obviously, you know, adjust the pain. But I think people still have that old school mindset, you know. Do you do any ice baths and stuff like that? (sighs) Okay. (laughs) So... When I got back into tennis, I dealt with a ongoing calf strain. And if anyone out there has had a calf strain, it is no joke. It is no joke. A calf strain, and once you have that calf strain or a hamstring strain, those are very similar in injury. It's a reoccurring injury. And one side will compensate, and then the other one will have it, and it goes back and forth. So me growing up with the mindset in college and and learning my education through that was the rice mentality which was ice was a part of it and till I went to the acupuncturist and then I went to a sports specific doctor and they were like there's been recent studies no more ice it's now about heat and so it's more so getting that blood flowing because the ice is going to restrict that flowing from happiness is going to restrict from that blood properly getting to where it needs to get to. And so what I was explained and what I was taught uh, was if it's within the first day, you ice it. If that pain, because you're trying to control the pain, not so much uh, treat it, it's for pain control. So I don't really do the ice baths anymore. And in college, I had, I did an ice bath because I only played, um, I only was on that team for a year. And it was like, I was the freshman. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to be the tough one. I'm going to be this tough. I'm going to push through it. And I, I did it. And it was brutal. And it's still brutal. I do ice, like, sh- not ice, but like a cold shower right afterwards or whatever uh, at the ending. Uh, but not so much of the ice baths, so no. I've done cryotherapy. It felt fun. I don't know if there is enough adequate research behind it um, because, again, everyone has their own research. Everyone does their own research, and there's so many different mixed studies, but I do believe in the sauna. I was in that sauna yesterday for 15 minutes, and I'm, I'm a heat person. I love the heat, so I could do a sauna. Yeah, same here. I, I, I really love the heat a lot more. That's why I always move to hotter countries. But it's like the heat for me works better than the, than the ice, you know, being Swedish originally. It's like I, I want to avoid that. But what, what I noticed myself is that sometimes after like two hours of tennis, it's nice to do like ice bath, like quick, quick one, then in the sauna, then back to the ice, then in the sauna. And that really makes you feel amazing afterwards. Like you do that maybe three, four times, that kind of cycle. 
Yeah, uh, those kinds of cycles. I know a lot of people that do them and that they feel good. I, again, I've, I've done it. And it's just, I think at that point of what's working for you and what's not. And for me, it's just give me a sauna. <laughs> saunas are good. Like, uh, is it easy to find saunas in the, in a, like in LA maybe, but in the States? Oh yeah, we have so many. It's become like the wellness community here has become such an on-trend thing. It's <laughs> it's almost so funny because it's it's become such an Instagram thing. But for me, it's like this is what I do <laughs> to to feel good in general, not just post about it. You know, so you could always you could always see the difference in that. Yeah, it's kind of like an influencer uh, city now, like LA. I mean, it was always about that, but uh, in yeah. different forms. I I went to uh, shoot commercials for the company and uh, like for a company I worked for many years, like five, six years ago. And um, then that was before the pandemic and everything. Uh, and, you know, I, I love many parts of LA. It's the traffic I didn't love so much, oh. uh, but it's a fun city. Like, how do you find living there? How long have you, you stayed in LA now? My whole life, pretty much. Uh, we moved here right after the civil, well, during, not right after, the civil war. And so I've been here since I was a, a baby, basically. So for me, I just, I've known LA, but I, I love to travel. And uh, there are parts of things LA that I absolutely love and parts like the traffic and some of the, <laughs> some of the other stuff where it's just like, oh my God, this is why LA has that rap. Right. But there's there's good in wherever you find uh, wherever you are. There's always good and there's always bad. So how's the tennis scene? Is it uh, the little players and stuff? like that? Oh, my God. Tennis. I, I feel in the States, California, Florida, Texas are your top areas for tennis. And that's how you know what level you are at. Uh, being a top player in California because the competition was so high and now getting back into the scene I, I you know a lot has not changed since uh, leaving it and throwing away the racket um, and it's been you know I threw it away for like 12 years and then picked it up uh, because I was uh, going through a very difficult time with my uh cousin battling cancer and my anxiety had come back and we were very close in age. So me being here and then watching me being healthy and then watching her just deteriorate right in front of me, I, I got back the anxiety, even though I was doing the journaling, the meditation, the breath work, but there was something I needed that release. And with tennis, you release so much. It's like another version of boxing, in my opinion, if you're an aggressive player. If you're an aggressive player, which I am, uh, it, it releases a lot of anxiety if you're coming in with a different mindset. And, you know, a lot of people don't talk about the fact that cancer not only changes the person who has it, but changes the people around them who love them. If you allow it to change you for the better. And for me, I... I utilize it in the sense of I'm grateful to God I'm healthy and I, I, you know, I had to make a lot of, a lot of sense for myself because you can't make sense of a situation like that. There is no, nothing anyone can say or do to tell you any differently in regards to when someone is diagnosed with such a nasty uh, disease. And so when she passed, um, 
it really affected my mental like no other. I just, I, I couldn't, my creativity vanished. I, my, I, I just, I couldn't understand what I was going to do. And I, everything that I was doing, the therapy, the, the breath work. And I said, what is missing? And I decided to pick up my racket after 12 years. Like I hadn't picked up my racket and I said, I'm going to find a place to go and I'm going to go and play. And I hit the ball and I started playing and it was like picking up where I left off in the sense of like my form was there. My footwork was there. I was tired. Don't get me wrong. I was exhausted. I was exhausted. However, I, I ended up crying on the court because I was able to release. And I said, what, what was this? This is what I needed. (laughs) This sport sent me to anxiety and depression and now it's my outlet for it. So just having that full circle moment and, and appreciation of the sport is just such a beautiful thing. And I ended up going to support this uh, league that's out here um, called the Oyster Tennis Club. And it's usually guys that play. And I'm always I'm always the only female because I, I don't know where, where my female players are. And uh, I, I went. It was during the Indian Wells Open. And he invited me to the tournament to play. But I was like, I got myself out of it. I was like, I'm not going to play. I have not played in how long? No way. Like, I'm here to support. And then I'm going to go watch the pros at Indian Wells. And I came on and um, to the court. And I was like, okay, well, it's good seeing you. And he was like, you're, you're playing in the tournament. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. And I like half asked, like, yeah, I'm put my name down. And I was walking away. And then they called me the director like called me and I was like, I'll have to play now. And so I played doubles and I unconventionally won the entire thing. And I got a little medal and everything with it. And it just, and it just ignited a spark in me. Cause you know, as an athlete, those trophies in a sense signified a lot of meaning. It wasn't just a plastic thing. And usually there were ugly trophies. It wasn't just this, you know, object, plastic object. It was a showcase of your hard work. And so when, after all these years receiving it, I felt like a kid again. I was like, oh my God. I'm... <laughs> and I, rem- I have all my trophies and I throw them in boxes. I was like, I don't care about this crap. And here I am caring about this because I said, wow, this is a full circle moment for me because it showed me, wow, the sport that traumatized me in a sense now I came back and conquered it in a different way. And I think that's what ignited me to start playing again. And I'm grateful. I definitely am to be back on the court and to be a better player now. (laughs) That's a great story. Um, And I also uh, like a beautiful way of putting tennis because tennis can really drive you crazy in many ways. It can drive your, like your whole family crazy as well. And and it can be like a thing that, that brings a lot of pain. Like a lot of players talk about, you know, not being happy on the court. And that could be like ex-pros. It could be juniors that had their parents, you know, force them to play tennis. I've sometimes played with like a 16-year-old, you know, top five player in Europe, uh, you know, a 15-year-old girl. And, and, you know, she doesn't seem happy. And I'm, I'm asking her afterwards, like, oh, you know, after we played and, and she's like, oh, my parents are forcing me. It's not Mm -hmm. her love for the sport, but when you get a little bit older, a bit more mature and, then you can understand. You have a, like your own relationship with the sport. It's not a forced one. It's like more of a natural, organic one that you want. Absolutely. I think in a sense, I'm, I'm grateful I got injured. And I know it sounds so crazy. 
it pivoted me in a direction that I would have never imagined. And I most likely wouldn't have been taking the lead in my life the way that I am now, had I continued the path of what my father wanted. And I probably would have, you know, made it pro and then thrown my racket <laughs> at some point uh, in the sense that said, I'm done. And you hear a lot of you hear a lot of athletes now, a lot of tennis players talk about it. I was just watching um, recently the Marty Fish. Uh, yeah, very good, yeah. So that was, I was crying through it because I understood so much of it and so much relatability. And, you know, watching the Naomi Osaka and, you know, just the way that she's been standing up in a lot of different ways and advocating uh, on the mental health aspect for athletes. And again, I will say it over and over, and I've said it twice already, that tennis is the only individual sport that you advocate for yourself on that court. You're, you're by yourself. You don't have your team. So if you're playing basketball, you have your teammates. If you're having a crappy time, your teammates are, you know, pushing you and, and you know, helping you and whatever it is. But on the tennis court, you have to figure it out, which I feel is the reason why there's so much mental health issues going on and you know tennis is a particular type of sport where they don't talk about a lot of these things because they're not supposed to <laughs> so I like that a lot of players right now are being more vocal and being more vulnerable and standing up for themselves and talking about the things that matter because in a sense you're not going to be a tennis player forever so what are you going to leave behind for the for the other players? And you have to stand up in, in some sort of another because not a lot of people have this inner strength to be able to push through these kinds of things. And it can be a very dark and sad world. I mean, again, watching that Marty Fish uh, episode, it was very spot on. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. And it's like you get the release from from sweating. That's why like I'm addicted to it as well. Like you get that release like you because when you play tennis, you can't think about anything else really yeah. like technically. Uh, but when you're a pro or you're someone is pushing you to become like a good player or, you, or it's like results driven, whether it's from you or from someone else, then you feel very lonely usually. Like it can be a very tough one and it's also a very costly sport. So there's also that element like it's very tough to make it. And even yeah. if you're like top 200 in the world, it's maybe not enough to make a living from it, which is a bit crazy compared to other sports where you have, you know, millions and millions made, you know, made from being that kind of level in your sport. Absolutely. I think another player that uh, is really doing well with this is Novak in the sense of he's doing, he's doing the mental stuff. He talks about the mental stuff like no other. I heard him on a podcast and he was talking about the meditation and the and the self-work and the mental work that he has been doing and has been doing all these years. And it's so nice to hear those kinds of things. Because when you see a lot of stuff or you see the highlight reels and whatever, you see just the training aspect. You see them like grinding on the court and you're like, oh, that's all that it takes. And it's like, no, <laughs> it is not that. That is not it. That is not it at all. So I think it's great that a lot of players are taking that route of things and actually utilizing our platforms and going on platforms to talk about it because it's so important. I didn't have that growing up. I didn't see that. It was just play on the court. <laughs> play. That's it. Hours yeah. and hours and hours. Play and win, right? Yeah. So the anxiety is, is a big thing in tennis. And I think a lot of players struggle with with anxiety. Yeah. 
how's your relationship with your father today? Like, is it, uh, was it tough, obviously, being trained by him? But are you fine today? Or is it, was it, like, created a, a problem? Of course. I mean, in the sense of it, you know, getting cut off at that early age and really becoming self-sufficient just makes you feel a little more powerful in this sense. And to be like, okay, well, let me show you how I'm, I'm going to now do things. So it's a, it's that kind of a relationship of like, okay, I'm, I'm my own person. I run my own life. I, I do my own things. And I'm just honestly very, very proud of being able to take a tough situation and becoming an even tougher person. So, but still a softy because I think you have to be really strong in order to be soft at the same time. So to be able to acknowledge your softness, I think it just adds this humanly component that a lot of people, when they grow up in these kinds of situations, they just become like a frozen soldier. <laughs> and that is not me at all, at all. But any of my friends uh, know I am very, uh, very smiley. <laughs> But that's that's great. I mean, I think it's one of the important aspects of being a human is to show vulnerability uh, amongst your strength. So like we're all three dimensional beings, right? So we need to have both to exist in the world. It's it's tough enough being alive, right? So having oh, that yeah. like ability to to be a warrior, but also showing that you're also human, I think is important. Absolutely. And I think as, as an athlete, especially when you're training to be pro or you are a pro, you're not allowed to show the vulnerability side. So I think that's also what happens to a lot of athletes in the sense, no emotions, can't show anybody what you're feeling, can't talk about it, can't do any of that. And because you're doing that on a repetitive basis over and over and over, a lot of athletes become that person, period. And I just, I don't know, I think being able to show some emotion, I think is healthy and I think is totally fine. As long as you don't let your emotions get the best of you. I think it, it, I mean, I'm not saying go and slam your racket, but it's normal and it's okay to do so. And I've broken, I've broken my fair share of rackets in the past. Like, let me tell you, I used to have a temper <laughs> at some point on the court, but I, I think just doing a lot of that self-work allows you to be able to handle situations, especially when you take it into the real world. You're going to have shitty people all day telling you what you can and cannot do. And most of the time you can't do things or are not doing things right or they don't like how you're doing it. And you are going to have some emotions, but learning how to control it, I think it makes you not only a better athlete, but a better person and live a happier life. <laughs> Yeah, no, and also like, yes, using what you learn from tennis or whatever your hobby is or sport, like what you talked about in the beginning is so important that you're kind of, it's like a microcosm of your life, right? So like if you're learning how to deal with issues there and you learned early with all your injury and that stuff, and then you can use that as a strength in your life to to develop and do stuff. So what do you see ahead of yourself now? Like you're, you're in tennis, you have business going, you're doing consulting, you're, do you have more books in the works? What, what, what are you working on right now? I have been getting ready to eventually launch on my website uh, my next set of programs uh, for anywhere, anytime workouts, as well as a meal prep uh, course because I get asked for my recipes all the time and I want to be able to teach people how to do this 
from their own kitchen. And I also do have a, I can't go fully about it, but I'm very, very excited because I am going to be conquering the tennis world in the business aspect with a product that my uh, business partner and I have been creating for the last two years. And I'm so excited for it to come out, hopefully in December, uh, maybe even sooner, but in December. And I'm once it's out, then I get to share it and maybe I get to come back here to, to share it with everyone. But it is, we're taking my experience of what I learned in the tennis and now making a, a pathway for other athletes to learn from what I did and, and without me saying exactly what it is and what we're doing. But I'm very excited for that aspect because you know, I always thought tennis was my life and tennis is my life and this is this is what I'm destined to do. So when I lost it, I lost myself. And now to come back in a full circle moment that, you know, I get to come back in a different manner. I get to come back as a smarter athlete, a more in tune athlete and be able to utilize that those skills to help other athletes. And, you know, you see so many of the tennis uh brands doing the come up and different companies doing a come up right now because tennis became such a huge thing these last two years, um, which is about damn time. But it's uh, it's nice to now have someone that's actually in tennis as a former player to come in and with my eyes and my partner's eyes to be able to give it a new look. That's all I can say. Just give it a little new look from an athlete, from a former tennis player's point of view. And my 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 partner is my best friend since we were 13 years old. And we have been friends all of these years and like sisters. And she grew up playing tennis, but she went on the recreational side and coaching and things like that. And then um, Due to some health issues, uh, she switched over to pickleball. So we'll be conquering tennis on my end and pickleball on her end. And I'm very excited for it. So I to just come back with a new new perspective, the experience and this confidence of that pivot shifted me into this new path. And I'm very excited. That's it. I'm very excited. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Sounds it's always fun. Like now, I think you have when you have the tools. Like partly in the digital world, like you can create. Like you, you made your book. You, you pushed it forward. You yeah. can have like you can bring build a whole business from a computer pretty much today if you have the mindset and the the skills obviously. But it's something you can learn. So. Uh, this sounds very exciting. I, I think it's, uh, you know, you're always welcome back to talk about it when it's ready for launch. Uh, yeah, and, send you uh, a PR package. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make the Tennis Nerd Edition. Yeah, exactly. That is always good. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited about getting recipes. I, I'm really, like, into eating healthy as well, not nutritious, you know, and I, I, I also have cheat stuff and, like, okay, you know, I'm going to have a beer or whatever. You never really feel good, like, after a beer because it's, like, all the gluten and stuff, I guess. But but you have to treat yourself. You have to balance it, right? So, But it would be nice to have some uh, kind of Middle Eastern influence, like, with more spices and stuff and how to, you know, work with that. That, that would really be cool for me. Like, that's what I'm from a purely selfish, selfish point of view, right? I think that is just a great point. And you, you use the word cheat. And I always tell people, don't say cheat, just say indulge, you indulge in it. Because I, I a lot of the times, especially uh, growing up, 
you start to have super negative connotations with food. And I like to just take out a, a word like that and just say, I indulged. I indulged in my tequila yesterday. Did not care. At the moment, I felt great. <laughs> this, this early morning, uh, give or take, like the pizza and the extras that I did, I didn't have to have the extra dessert, but I did. Um, I think learning how to just say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna indulge, and then we're gonna learn how to balance it out. in, in the sense of like, you can't out balance about diet in general, but however, you can you can do some things to kind of like reset. And I am going to be relaunching my YouTube channel because I, I deleted everything. I had like I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning, but I want to make it more tennis specific in the sense of being able to create more nutritious meals for after your three hours on the court and what you should have before in order to have sustained energy and good quality foods um, to last you during a long match. So I'm, I'm going to make sure to be able to do that on my own platform that I have on socials uh, such as Instagram, TikTok, and, and now Threads. Threads is a thing now. I do my Tennis Tuesdays. So slowly slowly getting into the swing of things with more of my tennis content and you know probably going to annoy a lot of people who are used to seeing more gym content but tennis is a is a much more fun um workout for me than a traditional gym and i think a lot of people don't understand like you don't need to do crazy workouts in order to really benefit yourself uh, as far as like strength training and things like that. Like I, I've seen some of the craziest workouts and some of the craziest things being said, like do this workout every single day, this one exercise every single day, and you are going to have a snatched butt and a snatched waist. And I'm like, this is so wrong. And I, I just, I don't understand it. Like I, I, I never like false information like that because I understand what they're doing. And just people make it so much about money and sales and numbers. And it just, it's so exhausting that I just, I would, I think it's more refreshing to show if you do these basic exercises and just start playing with the number of reps, playing with how heavy you're going and playing with the sequence and whatever, that's an actual great workout. Like you don't have to do a somersault into a backflip into a squat, like some of the weirdest things I've seen. So I'm hoping like more people will see that. And I'm hoping that I can also at the same time, like show tennis specific workouts. So That's great. That, I think, um, yeah, I think there's the, the TikTok uh, situation where you have like people, you just, they do whatever to get some, items, you know, so, and, and they lead a lot of people I mean, you have youngsters, kids watching it, and they, oh, is this how you get like a six pack? And then it's yeah. like really bullshit, right? So, yeah, that's that's a little bit of the problem. Like, people don't know what source to go for, and everybody is just obsessed with how many, you know, likes and, and, uh, and views they can get. So, I think that's a big, big problem, you know, to get it yeah. like the right. I'm very, very rebellious in the sense of I could give it, I could give a shit less to ever go viral. I could care less if it hit millions of views. I care more so of the of the people that write me and say, hey, I was able to do this workout, never thought that I could do this with, you know, three kids and, and a full-time job and thank you for having your workouts because I, I lose the excuse of getting in 
an actual workout. And that to me is way more important than going viral or going and, you know, <laughs> um, having millions and millions of followers. Like I'm okay with just taking the longer route and not doing those kinds of clickbait type of things. And it's more authentic, I feel. And it feels so much better and more satisfying because I can only imagine. I mean, when I first started off in social media, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, I was first one of the ones that, you know, back before everybody was talking on camera, but they would do like the cheesy things of like making a shake and then like shaking the shake, like smoothing and whatever, but in like a very cheesy manner. And I look at that and I cringe because <laughs> I was like, I was one of those people in the beginning and that didn't last long that lasted maybe two weeks and then I deleted it and I said get, please get back to your own content like what are you doing just what are you doing it's a lot of self-talk and I attribute that again to tennis you have a lot of self-talk there my neighbors yeah, yeah. probably think I have a roommate or something because the amount of conversations I'm having with myself <laughs> Because of tennis, you know, you're talking to yourself on the court. Most of those players are talking to themselves. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm just very excited. And I've now been inspiring my followers to pick up tennis. And that's just so nice. They always ask me if I teach. I do not. I am not not into coaching at all. It's a, a lot of uh, – it's a lot more difficult than what people think. No, of course. They're yeah. like, do you want to teach? I was like, no. <laughs> They're it's like, but you teach exercise. And I was like, that's different. <laughs> there is a disconnect with me and exercise in the sense of I wasn't a professional lifter or whatever. But, I, you know, being a former aspiring pro, it's a way different, way different mindset to take the route of coaching. And I hope coaches now are doing better in the sense of educating themselves and really working on the mental aspect of how to connect with an athlete and how to also treat an athlete more like a human than a machine. I think a lot of, a lot of coaches, they make you feel like you have to be a machine. And I, I hope that now it's, it's better. I don't know so much for me, like I, I've I'm playing on my own. I, I, I hired a coach uh, last week to work on my serve. So I was like, I need to figure out what is going on on this serve. Because even though I'm taping it to like, taping it, <laughs> even though I'm recording it and like trying to understand and, and fix it, it's always better when you have a, a second set of eyes to be able to tell you, hey, this is what's going on once you ship this. And I made a little change that I would have never thought of to do so myself, but it was nice to have a coach that uh, was a little softer. <laughs> yeah, you're not used to that, I guess. Like, I mean, no. and I think it's a lot about personality, also the, the chemistry now. Like, some, some people just need a coach to listen to them, like, when, even when they're whining about something, because a lot of players whine, of course. Uh, or some people maybe want someone to be a bit more firm and be like, hey, you have to tell me when I'm, you know, doing this because it's wrong or whatever. I think it's, it's a yeah. little bit different. But, uh, you know, I think also for the coaches, sometimes can be a bit afraid to say what they want because they, they're going to get fired or <laughs> it's going to be a lead to a problem, right? Yeah, I think to really, how can I say it? I think for, for people to really, if you have the opportunity to pick a coach that you connect with as opposed to what you feel that they can just 
teach you on the court. I think a lot of that is so important. And I think that's what makes an athlete uh, more human is a great coach like that. And uh, it's so, so important. Your team for that makes a huge, huge impact on and off the court. And I think the off court, especially just having that recovery time and having someone who cares about that and says, Hey, did you do your stretch? Did you have a great, uh, protein? Did you have enough protein after your workout? Like those are so important. A lot of athletes won't do that. (laughs) And a lot of, I think a lot of coaches will neglect that aspect of it, but I feel like a lot goes behind just being on the tennis court, beating balls and talking strategy. There's so much more, especially for such a mental sport like tennis. Yeah, I think now no, the teams, the, what has changed, what I see when I travel around to the tournaments is that the teams are much bigger. Like, so for example, the, back then you used to be like, hey, I can ask this player and maybe she, she or he has tickets. But now they have like a whole entourage of like, they have a physio, they have a like a trainer, like a hitting partner. They have the, the coach. They could have a nutritionist. I mean, Novak is, is very good at this. He has a whole team. He has probably like a cryo chamber outside in a, in a you know, some kind of bus or something. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I loved watching, I, I think this, the second season of uh, Break Breakpoint was a little better. Um, in the Much sense, better, yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, anyone that's in the tennis world is going to be quite critical of the sport, as most tennis players are. Uh, but watching Iga and her team, I think that was, I mean, when she put on the, the things for, for the mental and like me knowing what the purpose of that was, but really showing like, let me show you what is going on behind the scenes. Like, so I, I know a lot of tennis players, you know, were quite critical about uh, the breaking point, break point, excuse me. And I feel that really showing that aspect of players that behind the scenes and what goes on and what you have to do on the mental side of things to prep you to get onto the court. I think that was such a great showcase of what really goes on. I mean, yes, again, it just a lot of it was at surface level that they touch because of course there's so much. Um, and I understand how these kinds of shows work and they love, they love to create uh, more <laughs> and more drama and more things like that. I, I get it. Uh, but for me, I think it was it was a good start, and I hope more more shows like that come to surface, and more more people cover things like that, and to really talk about those kinds of things. Because what do you do when when the career is over? Yeah, no, and I I, I I think that's a very good point you raised there, because I think from what I talked to in in Spain in Marbella where I live, like it's a little bit like LA in in Southern Europe, right? So it's like mm-hmm. a lot of like you know nice villas and rich people and uh, it's a little bit more quiet than LA but also a lot of former tennis players like Novak lives here so his his house is not that far from here and um, when you meet them and it's like a lot of them had mental issues after leaving tennis because it's it's also what am I doing now like I was 150 in the world you know it made me some money it didn't make made me like enough money to just go and in the sunset and and be happy Mm -hmm. Uh, I need to do some some work and like maybe they're 33, they don't have a college education, so they, unless maybe they went through, you know, American tennis college, which is great, I think. But then you're like, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm going to be a coach now for stand on the yeah. court, you know, eight hours a day. That's not really viable maybe for some. Uh, so it leads to mental health situations where not like so, so good, I think. 
Absolutely. I think, uh, I think in a lot of sports, I think even in the sports like basketball or football, even though they have made millions and millions of dollars because they're more likely to do so, um, even if they're like a fourth round pick, fifth round pick or whatever. I think athletes in general, they're, 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 it's a very short-lived career. It's a very, very short-lived career. And that's all you knew your pretty much your entire life. If you've gone pro, you've been doing this since you were a kid, so you've identified yourself with that sport. So once that sport is gone, what do you do? And unless you've set it up for yourself and you've really done the inner work and the and the self-work to really figure out, hey, this is the sport and then this is me. It is not one or the other, but a lot most most of the cases that's not that. And that's why you'll see the athletes like letting themselves go in the sense of no more working out, no more eating healthy. And you'll see a different athlete. You won't even see it. And it's not so much about, hey, do it because you have to do it because you have to look a certain way. No, it's not about that. It's working out releases endorphins, eating the right foods releases great hormones, the important hormones. And if you're all of a sudden throwing in the throwing in the towel with working out or whatever it is that you were doing and then eating like crap, that is linked to depression and anxiety and all of those kinds of things. And I think if people talked about it more or showcased that more of like what to do uh, to, to help you and provide more resources, what to do after being an athlete. Yeah, I mean, there could there could even be some kind of pension, obviously from the ATP. I think there are in some cases, but maybe not so like far-reaching. Like it's only for like certain top players. Um, but also, like, is there like a post tennis program? Like, can you educate yourself? Can they support you? The tennis organizations, there there are quite a few of them. Uh, it should be something because you know I have friends that ballooned in weight and you know are drinking or whatever. They 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 ended up in a, in a bad spot after professional tennis. Some friends went into kind of more like, you know, bit spiritual magic mushrooms and uh, all that, like sitting on a mountain because they feel like <laughs> tennis was was rough. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to them like, I, you know, met one guy today. So and he's like, I used to travel all over the world. I never saw anything now. So he wants to travel now because it's like I, you know, what he saw was hotel, tennis court, hotel, tennis court, gym. <laughs> that was pretty much it. It's crazy because a lot of people think like if you are traveling all over for your career, your your vacation and whatever. And I a few years back, I was traveling with a client of mine who um, is a singer, and I was traveling across the United States on a tour bus. Um, city was this J Lo, by the way? Oh my God, no! I wish, I wish. I mean, he's had a song with J Lo, so it's kind of like in the same, in the same. Uh, what is it? What's that term? I forgot what that term is. Six degrees of separation. Yeah. Okay. So in a sense, it was, and um, people were like, "Oh, you've been here, here, here," and I was like, "I was asleep on the tour bus." So I think it's a very similar lifestyle that I lived. If I was a, ten a professional tennis player. Um, that would have been, that would have been that lifestyle. And it's, you don't see anything you're on a tour, you're in your bubble. And so in a sense, I'm glad I also went through that of being on tour with the artists because it was even more so of like me saying I wouldn't have probably been happy playing on tour. 
unless again, I had my surrounding team and I was able to have that control and whatever, then it's a different story, of course. But yeah, but that, that story of me getting uh, that artist uh, as a client is very interesting. And again, I, I, I do attribute that to tennis because uh, when I was first referred to the job, uh, it was five days before having to leave on tour, like pack everything uh, before going on tour for uh, five weeks. So five days before for five weeks. And um, he at that time was training for the New York Marathon. And I do have a sports background. I've worked with football, uh, American football. I've worked with uh, tennis, obviously, volleyball and basketball but never with runners. And so his manager asked me, he said, she said, have you ever trained uh, a marathon player before? And I lied. And I said, yes, I have. <laughs> and she was like, so you're not only going to be training him for the tour, but you're also going to be training him for the, the New York marathon. And I said, perfect. When do I leave? And he goes, and she goes in five days. And so I got off the phone call and I called a top running marathon coach and asked him for his playbook, basically learned everything through him, hired him to teach me everything that he knew. I had him like on, on text, uh, in case I had any questions or, you know, I also have common sense and I have the knowledge uh, with my sports background and, and certifications and degree to be able to train and properly for a form. But I knew that opportunity was only going to come once. So I knew because of my tennis background that I am resourceful and can figure it out. And I figured it out and they had no idea that whole time that that was my first time. <laughs> working with a marathon coach it wasn't anything to put someone in danger uh, because again my background uh, but that was thanks to tennis of figuring that out yeah no I mean it's, it's about figuring it out like yeah sometimes you have to be like taking a bit of a, a route to just be in a place where you can actually learn that stuff and then and, and work work it out you know it's, there's always solutions to everything right but of course you seem quite resourceful but it's a it's a good skill to have in life I think yeah, thanks to sport. <laughs> well, Sarah, I've been taking a lot of your time and a lot of your dog's time because I think uh, she wants to go for a walk with all these fire alarms going on. Uh, <laughs> but it's been great, fire alarms uh, permitting to talk to you and uh, really enjoyed it, learned a lot. And uh, whenever you want to come on again and talk about your new products or new life in tennis or whatever's happening, uh, you were very welcome. So that would be cool. I'm excited. Maybe I'll compete again and invite you for my tournament. We'll see. <laughs> I would love to come. I've, I've been living in a suitcase myself. It's been like Paris twice and now uh, Stuttgart, Mallorca, Sweden, and I'm going somewhere else. Yeah, so it's been like that. A bit. But then I, I see the hotel, I see the venue for the players, and, and that's pretty much it. But <laughs> it's okay. I, I totally get it, but I'm very excited. Uh, I'm Super, super grateful for you having me here. This is, again, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen to it on my morning walks. So it's always great to hear this input of hearing people who passionately love the sport. And, again, not having that growing up and now hearing that coming back into the sport. It's just such a great nostalgia feeling. So until next time. Great. That, that, that's uh, poetry to my ears. 
and it's also a beautiful community of tennis and I think that's one of the best things about I mean sport in general but I think the tennis community is, is kind of giving and caring and and is a pretty good place to, to hang out absolutely all right thanks a lot thank you